The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. You are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. When we were getting married, there was a little girl that was there, and she asked her mom, and I overheard her. She said, Mom, you know, why is the, so why does the bride wear white? She said, well, it's for purity and for happiness, and so that just represents the bride. She goes, oh, and then at the end of the wedding, she says, well, I see why the groom wears black. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I got for the day, guys. That's it. Have a good night. I'm done. (laughs) I'm glad we get them out of the way early today. Yeah, so like, none of them surprise I'll be me. Here. I'll be here all week. And it's like, I'm out of here. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I am not Catch trying. you next week. We'll try next week. <laughs> I'm not trying the veal. <laughs> all right. So That's why don't we fun. get into this? Welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch. And with me to my right is Cherry Lewis. Hello. To my left is Billy Kimsey. Hello. And behind the, what do you call it? Glass? Behind the glass. Mr. Andy Bishop of Giraffe Studio. I have my own room to myself so I can mute the mic and make all sorts of weird mouth noises. <laughs> and eat and drink yeah. and make merry. Take, right. take a little nap. I could, yeah. not, <laughs> I could not be in the same room as everybody else. It would be a bad scene. Yes. I'm, I'm, not, I'm used to the, the power, the privilege of <laughs> having my own space. Yeah. Well... So we know that we're getting we're getting close to the resurrection. We've been talking about the resurrection. We are going to hit the resurrection today. Oh, we got to say Ralph's not here. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I need to mention that Ralph yeah, is he's traveling. Our speaker. He's our speaker. That's right. He won't be reading the Bible for us today. So fortunately, we're only going to read just a few verses today out of the Bible. <laughs> but um, yeah, Ralph is traveling. Uh, he will be back this come this on our next podcast. I will be out next week. I'm going to talk. Ralph actually thought about doing a side study without me being here, which I think would be a great idea. Well, just let me know. Yeah, I'll let you know. And so we'll go with that. But first, I want to get this out of the way too. I asked Cherry to go ahead and prep for Joel Osteen. Are you ready? Oh. Did you not do your homework? Don't worry. This is how bad I don't like Kenneth Copeland. (laughs) Kenneth Copeland gets two episodes. (laughs) This guy, I told you, you know, he was the CODV guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The fake COVID. The the CODVA. Yeah. (laughs) CODVA's coming. Yep, and it was eradicated the second he said it. (laughs) Well, at least he thinks so. We're still talking about it a year later. (laughs) So uh, this guy was... He says some pretty strange things. He's a prosperity gospel preacher. If you don't know what that is, just turn on your television on Sunday mornings. You'll see them. There's plenty of people, Joel Osteen, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland. Uh, This stems from Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts was a prosperity preacher. He was the guy that said, give me $8 million or, you know, I need a jet. Well, a lot of them are asking for jets these days. Jesse DePlantis asked for $54 million for a jet. It's easier to get to heaven that way. You get closer (laughs) with a nice jet. It's guaranteed something. Uh, you know, I don't know about heaven, but if you plummet, you know, I guess you could get quicker. So uh, fly with the angels with a nicer yeah, jet. Yeah. Yeah. Creflo Dollar asked for a $65 million Gulfstream <laughs> 650, which has got a four year waiting list. You know, you can only buy used ones for about 71 million, you know, if you're lucky. Uh, but 
Kenneth Copeland, he's the guy that takes the cake. And so this is a, a statement. The, there was a journalist that had heard that he called some people demons. And he was very angry. So this inside edition reporter goes up to the side of him. He, he steps out of his limo, you know, <laughs> and sticks his head out. And uh, she says, is it true? I'll just play it for you. Uh, and he doesn't, uh, he d- it doesn't bode well for this guy, but we're going to go ahead and play it anyway. Let's see if you can hear it. Do you really believe that human beings are demons? No, I do not. And don't you ever say I did. Oh, if you could just see his face. Now, oil used to oh, yeah. Airlines, right. But it, even back there then, man, it, it got to the place where it was agitating his spirits, sure. people coming up to him. He right. had become famous and they wanted him to pray for him and right. all that. You, you can't. You, you can't manage that today. Right. The, this dope-filled world. Right. And get in an air, get in a long tube with a bunch of demons. Right. Do you really believe that human beings are demons? No, I do not. And don't you ever say I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> this guy, you know, he has. Uh, I, I've watched several of these little episodes where Jesse Duplantis is like, and this is my first jet, and this is my second jet, and this was my third jet, and here's my fourth jet. These guys, uh, because of the laws in our country, our tax laws, they can hide money like crazy. They can use money. They can live in homes tax-free. Uh, and a lot of people um, are okay with that. I am not okay with it. I don't think the churches should be tax-free. And I definitely think the churches, if they are going to be tax-free, then they have to really open their books and they need to prove this to everyone. I don't think that it's fair that people can just unload hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars of cash into a plate and pass it out. I mean, it's just, there's, I don't know. I just disagree with it. You might think, oh yeah, everybody's honest. Well, they're not. And it's, to me, it's a heavy tax on the population as it is. I just disagree with it hundred percent. So just wanted to get that out there. Make sure to prep for Joel Osteen. Okay. So now is, do I get to prep for Joel Osteen? Too? Would you like to prep for, you can prep for Absolutely. any other one. Yeah. yeah I love those guys. Jump on yeah. Creflo Dollar. I just love the guy's name. It yeah. sounds like money. Feels like money. <laughs> Must be show money. me the money. <laughs> show me the money. You know, it's just interesting. But I don't know. I just what's his name again? I, I don't Creflo Dollar. You'll have Creflo to send Dollar. that to oh, me. Yeah, so nice. it, it he sounds like, like yeah, like crap load of dollars or something. <laughs> I, I don't know. It just sounds like a swindler. I mean, <laughs> Creflo what, Dollar's a pimp name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know what? <laughs> Listen, cease and desist. Here come the letters. <laughs> yeah, but I, honestly. This prosperity gospel stuff, it is, there are literally elderly women in their 80s and 90s that are listening to these preachers that are saying, if you will give me $1,000, God will bless you like you wouldn't believe. You'll get your health. You'll get your wealth. Pressed down and shaken together like the promise that was in Malachi. And they'll Mm -hmm. read Malachi. They'll they'll read Amos. So they'll read something in the Bible to to promulgate this whole, promulgate's not the word, propagate. Yeah, this propagate the propaganda, you know, that they're spilling out on everybody. So That's crazy. Yeah, it irritates me. It irritates me to no end. So I'm glad you didn't do homework. I got a chance to go after that douche. I can't stand (laughs) that guy. Anyway. So here we are. We're at episode eight, and we are going to tackle the resurrection. But first, the thing that I want to talk about is where we are today and how we got here, all because a small Jewish man with this little religious faction got up out of the grave, okay? So I don't know if you guys realize it or not, but everybody around us is affected. And most people around the world are affected, but everyone around us, including yourselves, are affected 
by this event. Okay, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was this pivotal moment in history where a a man was raised from the dead. Whether you believe that he was raised from the dead or not, whether he was raised from the dead or not, you can say whatever you want. It affects you, even to this day. We talked about it changing the calendar. Nah, that's one thing. But when you start thinking about your own laws, okay, I grew up in a, in a small town, and in my town, you couldn't buy alcohol until after 1 p.m. on a Sunday. Now, I don't think those laws are in effect anymore. I think you can buy alcohol anytime you want. I, it's, I don't think it's true everywhere. I think but, South, yeah, South Carolina is still, yeah. still. Well, I think South Carolina is still incredibly controlled by the church and the church politicians. Yeah, it's a lot of things. And still a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, there's numerous things because of this belief. And I guess this is true for any religion anywhere. I don't know. I can only speak from being in the South and the Bible Belt in America. This is where uh, a lot of the laws. You know, have you know been changed by these church leaders? You know that are influencing politics or are in politics, and they use the faith that they learn. And should I be okay with it or not okay with it? Because I am a Christian. Well, I don't think that we should wield our power over anyone else. I think that we should live the life of our own and choose the life of our own, but not necessarily affect it. Now, when you start getting into this discussion of abortion, Roe v. Wade, that was the society saying, okay. We've had enough of this church. You've, you're telling us what we can do with our bodies and what we can't. Whether you agree with it or you don't, is it the church's decision to make for all of society, or is it the woman's decision, or is it at least you know uh, a calculated effort by all of society to talk about it and not just be some sort of rule that's you know I see it as murder and so therefore it's this. And other people say, mm-hmm. well, what about the medical side of it? And then you start arguing the points. This is this podcast isn't about abortion, but my point is is that the effect of the church. The church came about because when Jesus was risen from the dead, his disciples spent the rest of their lives going out and telling the news that this happened. Also, uh, Christian Christian nations basically ruled the world up through uh, the end of World War, through the end of World War II, where the Christian world kind of lost its colonial power, kind of collapsed. But that was a chunk of history where most of the dirt on this earth was ruled either directly or indirectly by Christian nations. It's just not necessarily as true today by any stretch. But up through World War II, man, most of Africa was colonies and South America, just anything you can think of. A lot of Asia, giant swaths of Asia, but boy, a huge portion of the world was ruled, yeah, like I say, directly or indirectly by Christian nations. Right, the British Empire especially. Yeah. You know, the sun never set on the British Empire or the Roman Empire. But Uh, the British Empire especially, that was like a Christian powerhouse. I mean, that's basically what they were doing was, you know, sending people out, militaries out and everything, and, you know, conquering. Oh, both ways, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, where this all begins, before I get into the resurrection, where this all begins is Abraham. In the book of Genesis, you learn about this man that lives in Chaldea, I think it is called. He's Abraham of the Chaldeans. He he is considered a wealthy man. He has everything going for him, and God calls him out, tells him to leave and to go to another place that he's going to show him. And Abraham leaves, and he does. And Abraham's married to this woman named—and it's actually, at this point, it's Abram and Sarai are their names— and God promises Abraham that he's going to have a child. And at this point, he's in his 80s, 
and it's not happening for him. And so Sarah has this handmaiden named Hagar. And Hagar, uh, Sarah says, okay, go into Hagar, let's then have this child, you know, because Sarah is barren. So Hagar has the son to Abraham named Ishmael. And Ishmael, because of the way that this action happened, according to the what we call the Old Testament, what the Hebrews call the Tanakh, um, or the Torah, this is the Torah part of the Tanakh, the situation is because he was promised this, but he does it on his own, it doesn't really count. Do you get what I mean? So Hagar, because she's pregnant and because she has this child— uh, Sarah feels a little spurned now because now her husband has had a child with this other woman, so she feels jealous of her. And so later, whenever they're in their, you know, he's a hundred years old or ninety-nine years old, God sends His promise through Sarah, and they have the child Isaac. And after that, she is angry about Ishmael being there, possibly getting some inheritance because she doesn't feel like he deserves it. This is the promised son, so therefore, get rid of him. So Abraham literally kicks Hagar and Ishmael. Out. Now, that's according to the biblical account. Hagar and Ishmael are cast out into the desert. They are starving. They're dying of thirst. Hagar is upset. She puts her son under a bush because she doesn't even want to watch him die, and she walks away. And while she's away, an angel of the Lord comes and tells her, God has heard your cry. And so, not to fret, but God is going to make you a great nation as well. So God sort of honors the promise through Abraham to Hagar and the son Ishmael. And the angel says, and he's going to be a wild donkey of a man, which I think is great for the boroughs here, but he's a wild donkey of a man. But he is literally the father of the Arabic people. That's And this is true in Jewish religion. It's true in the Christian religion as well as in the Islamic religion. This is where the descendant of the Arabs come from, is from Ishmael and the promised Abraham. And they believe this, right? So they accept the Old Testament. Arabic people do as, you know, where they start from. So Isaac and his, you know, from the Jewish side and their descendants, they start working their way down. And Moses comes on the scene and writes the Torah and then Joshua and this, the whole time, God has promised them this land, this little piece of land, okay? And this is where Jerusalem is at. This is where the nation of Israel is currently, but the, the city of Jerusalem is there. Well, if we fast forward through time, they've been fighting over this land all, you know, all the time. The Babylonians come in, and they wipe them out, and they you know, destroy the temple. And you know, so the Jewish or the Hebrew people are always trying to get back to this promised land, always. Well, according to the scriptures, Jesus Christ was going to be rejected by the Hebrew people. And when that happened, then God was going to divorce the nation of Israel and that he was going to bring judgment to this nation, okay, and destroy it, basically. And Jesus said that this would happen in their lifetime. He's telling the disciples that this will happen in your lifetime. He says, this generation shall not pass until all these things take place. And this is before his crucifixion, before his death, before his resurrection. He says, this is going to happen. So at this stage, Jesus is around 33 years old. He's crucified. He's put in the grave. He resurrects. 40 days later, he ascends. The disciples begin spreading this message of the gospel to the Jewish people. Jesus told them to stay, to go to Jerusalem first and Judea and Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. So this is sort of the path they're going on. And then they have to get the gospel out. 
And as they're getting the gospel out, then the Apostle Paul rises out of the ashes, you know, and really what happens is, is that Jesus strikes him down on the road to Damascus, and he tells him, you're going to finish up the suffering in your own body for me, and you're going to spread this gospel to the Gentiles. And so they start spreading this gospel, and then suddenly in 70 AD, or actually 66 AD, the Roman Empire completely sieges the city of Jerusalem, okay? And so for the next four years, there's a siege on the city, and it is brutal. It is a very brutal siege. And if you've never read about it or know anything about it, you should look into it, because this is one of the most brutal sieges ever in military history. I'm talking about, like, women cooking their own babies to eat and— I'm wondering how a siege can last four years. Yeah, well, it's because what what happens is every year— they have this pilgrimage, and Jews from around the globe actually go back for this, and they would allow the people in. And they did, and they were they were trying to manage this siege, and they were trying to just smoke them out, right? But they ended up, they never did, and these, this Jewish revolt that was going on internally never ended. They weren't going to stop fighting, so finally, they were done. And so they literally obliterate the city of Jerusalem. They destroy and burn the temple— they put up their own ensign, like this eagle ensign in the Holy of Holies, and just desecrate the place. And then they say there's blood running down the steps like a river and the fire. And it was just, it was brutal. Okay, so once that happened, the city of Jerusalem, there was something called the diaspora. Now, this happens for other groups. The term really means the dispersion of a group. But the Jewish diaspora is all of the Jews spread out all over the world. They were scattered because they no longer had a homeland. It was completely obliterated, and the Roman Empire had it. Well, there were conscripts that fought with the Roman Empire that were of Ottoman descent or Arabs, and they'd fought for it, okay? And so they were given this land during this time because the Jews had revolted. They eliminated the Jews, so now the Arabs have it. They're going to, you know, I guess they're going to build, they're going to pay taxes to the Roman government. This is what they're going to do, right? So it's sort of like a giant coup, and they, you know, that's pretty much what happens. So the Arabs take possession of the land. This is in AD 70, and from there on out, from 70 AD until 1948, they had possessed that land, okay? It was owned at this time— well, actually, until 19, I think it was 1920, 1920 or 1921, after World War One, the British Empire had sieged and taken control of Palestine. They have been trying to do this. The Europeans have been trying to do this for centuries. That's what the Crusades were. The Crusades, you've heard of the Crusades, right? I have heard of them. Yes. <laughs> I don't know a lot about them, honestly. I just know they're called the Crusades, and that's what they did. They, I, I know that nobody expects the comfy chair. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So if they go, they're going after Palestine. They're going after the Holy Land is what they're really after. Okay? So for centuries, they're going after this, and the Arabs have held on to this land for all of this time. And then when the British Empire finally wins the war— well, the Allied forces win the war, then, uh, and I've, I've got this, and I'll, I'll look it up and read it, but basically, um, it says, prior to the end of World War I, Palestine was part of Ottoman Syria. After World War I, the British Army ruled Palestine until a civil administration was established on July 1st, 1920. Britain was granted a mandate for Palestine on the 25th of April, 1920, at the San Remo Conference, and on the 24th of July, 1922, this mandate was approved by the League of Nations. 
And then I found this on the 1914 to 1918 online uh, website. It says, the British were given a dual mandate, that is, on behalf of Palestine's inhabitants on the one hand, and on behalf of, in quotes, international society on the other. The Balfour Declaration was incorporated into the preamble and second article of the mandate for Palestine. Britain thus also had a dual obligation towards both Arabs and Jews. While the mandate included the main parts of the Balfour Declaration, such as the proclamation of support for a Jewish national home, under the mandate's terms, Britain had an obligation to conduct its policy in Palestine in accordance with the needs of both Jews and Arabs. This included creating political administrative, and economic conditions that would facilitate the independent rule of the communities under British control. These objectives were an integral contradiction in the mandate. So at this stage now, what basically the British Empire, they've after the war, they've been given this mandate to where they're going to allow both Jews and Arabs to live, to cohabitate in this area. And as you can see, even to this day, that doesn't bode very well. The fact is, if you can imagine, I have family that have owned land for three generations, maybe, and we hold on to that land tight. Do you have family land? Yeah. Yeah, we have some, uh, probably not quite three, well, maybe three generations, four generations. Sure. I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's gotten smaller over the years, but uh, we still have it. It's still a core right. in Mills River. So, How about you? You ever had family land? <laughs> 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 you met my family. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so with this in mind, let me give you sort of like uh, an alternate history or at least an idea here. This is what it would be like. I want you to imagine you have this fourth or fifth generation family on this land. They've got, let's say they have a hundred acres of land right here in the mountains of Western North Carolina. And they've been farming it and they've been building their homes on it and their kids were grown on it. And then they had their grandkids and then their great grandkids. And they got to see all this, you know. And then I want you to imagine that uh, several truckloads of Native Americans from the Cherokee Reservation walk up and they say, we just want you to know this is no longer your land. Move. And you're like, well, that's not going to happen. This is my land. And they're like, actually, it was taken from us hundreds of years ago. We possessed the land. We were the rightful owners. You're going. Okay. And they're like, no, that's not going to work. And then the government creates this mandate and says, here, you have to let them live on your land. Okay. They have, they have to be able to live here and you guys have to be able to cohabitate. And we're going to give you all of the economic policies. And we're going to give you all these. You can see how well this would work, right? Oh, just, yes. Wonderfully. Yeah. Especially, you know, <laughs> rednecks, you know, North Carolina Americans, you know, <laughs> you ain't coming on my land. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, nobody would be at all bitter. <laughs> it's going to be two hits, boy. <laughs> Me hitting you. <laughs> you hitting fields. So if that gives you any kind of idea what this would be like, that's what's going on right here in Israel, in that area of Palestine. Okay, so this isn't going to work too well. So right after this in the 1920s and 1930s, this is suddenly when Adolf Hitler starts to become popular, okay? After World War I, because of the Versailles Treaty and the fall of the Kaiser, you know, they were expected, Germany was expected to take responsibility for the entirety of the war, all right? And so because of that, they had to shut down. They could no longer have a military completely. They had to get rid of all everything, you know, so no longer could they have a military. Well, when Hitler comes on the scene, he's like, this is ridiculous. We 
as the Germanic people are allowed to take our land back. We want the fatherland. If you want to start talking about land, look at us. Like we had all of this land and it was taken over centuries of war. Is that uh, the Ottoman Empire? Is that incorrect to say or is that right? Honestly, I think it was the Roman Empire that split it. That split it. Yes. I think when they... No, but Germany, wasn't that the Ottoman Empire? I think, I thought the Ottoman Empire was more Saudi Arabia. You're probably right. Honestly, I could be wrong, and if I am, that's fine. Send a letter to Andy. He'll respond. (laughs) But as we said last time, with tips, he also has Venmo. (laughs) Stupid donkey. Bunch of half-ass donkey. (laughs) After you said that, I realized because I had a vasectomy that therefore I was a half-ass. Yeah, okay. So, so it took you three weeks. <laughs> it did. I realized that today. Actually, I was oh, like, really? Wow. I'm a little slow. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were a little sharper than that. Really. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just a dumb burrow. I'm just a donkey. <laughs> a miniature donkey. Right. So, so when we look at Hitler, you know, it's easy for us to be. That was an evil man. You know, he was. Antichrist, he was the awful, you know, and that's fine, that's well and good. But if you were raised in a world like he was, and your entire nation has been ripped apart because of war out of your own control, and then suddenly the rest of the world says, sorry, you're no longer allowed to protect yourself, that would be like every Republican's fear, you know, or every Southern good red blooded Americans fears that the democratic government's going to come and take her guns. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's no different. That's their Ain't fear, no but, it's, but it's happening. That's what the Versailles treaty was. It's like, sorry, you can no longer defend yourself because of what you've done to the rest of the world. So Hitler gains popularity. He creates the Nazi party. It's interesting to know. So I'm going to read a little bit. I found this on the uh, religious views of Adolf Hitler's Wikipedia page. And so it is incredibly accurate. Hitler was born to a practicing Catholic mother and was baptized in the Roman Catholic Church. His father was a free thinker and skeptical of the Catholic Church. In 1904, he was confirmed at the Roman Catholic Cathedral in Linz, Austria, where the family lived. According to John Willard Tolan, witnesses indicate that Hitler's confirmation sponsor, sorry, confirmation sponsor, had to drag the words out of him, almost as though the whole confirmation was repugnant to him. They're talking about the confirmation inside the Catholic Church. Uh, Rissman notes that according to several witnesses who lived with Hitler in a men's home in Vienna, he never again attended Mass or received the sacraments after leaving home at 18 years old. In Hitler's book Mein Kampf and in public speeches prior to and in the early years of his rule, Hitler expressed himself as a Christian. Hitler and the Nazi party promoted positive Christianity, a movement which rejected most traditional Christian doctrines such as the divinity of Jesus, as well as Jewish elements such as the Old Testament. In one widely quoted remark, he described Jesus as an Aryan fighter uh, who struggled against the power and pretensions of the corrupt Pharisees and Jewish materialism. In his private diaries, Goebbels, who was his propaganda minister, wrote in April 1941 that though Hitler was a fierce opponent of the Vatican and Christianity, he forbids me to leave the church for tactical reasons. Hitler's regime launched an effort toward coordination of German Protestants under a unified Protestant Reich church, but this was resisted by the Confessing Church and moved early to eliminate political Catholicism. Hitler agreed to the Reich Concordat with the Vatican, but then routinely ignored it and permitted persecutions of the Catholic Church. 
Smaller religious minorities faced harsher repression with the Jews of Germany expelled for extermination on the grounds of Nazi racial ideology. Jehovah's Witnesses were ruthlessly persecuted for refusing both military service and allegiance to Hitler's movement. Some historians argue he was prepared to delay conflicts for political reasons and that his intentions were to eventually eliminate Christianity from Germany or at least reform it to suit a Nazi outlook. Other historians, such as Richard Stiegman Gall, argue that while there were anti-Christian Nazis, they did not represent the movement's position. So after Allied forces forces ended World War II, the Jewish nation pressed on toward the goal of gaining the land they believed was promised to them. And in 1948, the nation of Israel was established. But one thing that we always remember from World War II was Hitler's final solution. And that was the entire extermination of the Jewish race. That was his goal. Okay, so... Why did he want to do that again? Did he have a reason other than, I think these people are stinky or whatever it was he thought or seemed to think? Or was there some underlying reason there? Yeah, he he believed that they were like a parasite on the earth. He believed that they they were only materialist, that they were always about uh, taking and hoarding money and holding power and you know, abusing that power. And that's how he saw them. That's so wild. It is. And so his his whole focus, and if you really want to know, uh, you know, you can read that crap hole of a book, Mein Kampf, but that's basically his ideology and why he decided to become a leader, eventually the chancellor of Germany. But, you know, he created these concentration camps and he trucked in all of these Jewish people and he literally eradicated them. And I think there was over 2 million Jews that were killed oh, wow. in the concentration camps. Oh, yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. It's- oh, by the way, uh, Prussia uh, gave way to the German Empire, which gave way to uh, World War One eventually. So it was, uh, it was Prussia. Prussia. Yeah. So. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know that. It's, yeah. Yeah. That, sorry. Very undetailed, but generally, yes. Yes. Okay. So I've got us up. No, we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. So why am I bringing up Germany? You know, so the reason why is because the entire world was in this fight. Okay. And Americans, you know, we sort of, we we were called the sleeping giant. I don't know if you've heard the story about the uh, officer from the Japanese army, army that had developed this idea of bombing Pearl Harbor. And when he did so, whenever they came in and, you know, at this stage, America had stayed out of this war. They weren't going to be a part of it, but they didn't know about the extermination of the Jews at that time. They really didn't know. You know, there was a dignitary over there in Europe who said, while we're off for a weekend in the country, Hitler's taking over countries in a weekend. You know, the lightning war, Yeah. you know, Blitzkrieg. I mean, I think he took France in like, what, just a couple of weeks? I mean— It was the the top of the war was something nuts like that because nobody else wanted to get involved and they just kept like making excuses and then making huge moves. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he marched literally right through the, the Maginot line straight to Paris and just took France like it was nothing. You know, which is why when you Google French military victories, it always says, did you mean French military defeats? <laughs> Try it. It happens on Google. Really? Yes, it does. It's it's kind of a joke, but it's true. Anyway, so Hitler's ideology was this positive Christianity, this thing that he was going to create. And even though he didn't necessarily believe all this, it's what was being 
sent out through his propaganda minister. So I had a friend that had a bookstore back in the day on Wall Street in Hendersonville, uh, Christina. And and there was this like weird Nazi art book in there. And it was just, I don't know where it came from. Uh, but I remember flipping through it, not understanding it was like Nazi propaganda, just thought it was an interesting philosophical text. And it was this wild like thing where it was like, all these attractive ideas about like, I don't know, community and stuff. I can't remember it now. I just remember flipping through it and being like, oh, wow, this is neat. And then just like, boom, like somebody hit you with a damn car. Oh, and like Jews all need to die because they're scum. It was wild because it was completely unprecedented and out of nowhere. And and I swear to God, I was flipping through this book like, thinking like, oh, this is a nice philosophy. And it really was just left field. Yeah. And Jews are swines that are trash that are rotting the earth. Right. Wow. Out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Wild. Yeah. So, and that's a great point because that's really what duped the German people. Okay. The, The philosophy all the way up to that point was okay. Yeah. It was like, Stuff you could super agree with. <laughs> sure. Now, if you yeah, have suffered, wild. do you remember my my idea about the Native Americans coming on and having to live on our land for a while because they're coming back to get what was theirs? Yep. Well, if you think about it, the Jewish people were a lot of the merchants and they were the ones that were in the banks and they they did a lot of that in Germany. And so when the Germans were suffering after the war, it's kind of like carpetbaggers for the South after the Civil War. Here come the people in the North. They're the ones with the money. They buy up all the stuff. And next thing you know, they're charging people for all of these things. And they're like, hey, you know, we can't. You know, they just take control. Well, that's kind of what has happened in Germany at this point. You know, the Jewish people who have the money come in and they start buying up all of the things and then they start backcharging all of these people. Interesting story about why Jews had money in uh, Europe and in the New World. Uh, because in Europe, they weren't allowed to own land. Mm-hmm. So they had to learn uh, skills like weaving and whatever else. And that's, uh, and, and literally, because they weren't allowed to own land in a lot of places, they took up skills that made them incredibly wealthy when the uh, Industrial Revolution started to hit. Mm. Oh, wow. Weird lagging effect, like super important to the development of like why Jews are pictured the way they are in our head and why when uh, New York and everything was uh, being inhabited and the Industrial Revolution hit, it was all like, the Jews owned a bunch of the industry, especially like the garment district and stuff like that was all Jewish. Well, it's because they had to have skills because they weren't allowed to have land, so they couldn't farm. That's right. Wild after effect. Yeah, Yeah. it's huge too. Lagging effects for many generations. Sure. I mean, I think it's pretty well known that Hollywood for a long time was owned by Jewish families, correct? You know, and some of the greatest directors, you know, Steven Spielberg, for instance, one of the best directors of all time, in my opinion, who did, you know, Saving Private Ryan, which is an excellent film. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Or uh, what was that? Uh, Schindler's List. That was another one that was incredible. But this, you know, the the Jewish nation, they have always, they are a surviving group, man. They they do it. I mean, they can, they're going to make it. When nobody else will, they're going to make it. And they just do, you know. So for Hitler and the German people, this... That what you were saying about reading that book, like, oh, that sounds good. The community and all of this stuff sounds good. And then all of a sudden, it's like Jews are swine. It was wild. Yeah. I'm telling you, it was completely out of nowhere. And it was big, too. It wasn't like subtle. Right. It, it, they didn't, when it came in, it, they weren't like trying to work it in sideways. They were like, yeah. I, I can't even describe how <laughs> wild it was. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's bizarre. But all of this is stemming from these religious holy wars. This is these arguments and these fusses and these fights. It's over land. It's over this belief systems. It's what these people are fighting about. And it even affects us in America, like daily it affects us. But I wanted to bring out one in particular. We all remember 9-11, right? And I don't know if you guys know this or not, but September 11th was the actual birth of Christ, not December 25th. It's September 11th. I was not aware. I yeah. wasn't aware of that. Yeah, and it's one of the feasts that line up, okay? And it just so happened that his birthday, whether it was the 11th or not, the Arabs knew that this date was a special date for the Jews as well as the Christians. Even the Christians in America don't know that. They think December 25th is the birth of Christ. But uh, So the, September 11th wasn't about 9-11. That was an America thing. That's what we do. Oh, 9 It means emergency. We need to, you know, it doesn't. But it was easy to remember. So 9-11, the Arabic countries are, this is that moment where they call it radical Islam, you know, and Osama bin Laden is, is on the scene. And Osama bin Laden had been trained by America. I don't know if you know that. Um, oh, yeah, uh, Afghanistan to... Uh, Stop the Russian invasion uh, right. as a part of the Cold War. Yes, exactly, and that's what. Was, and so we trained him. The CIA trained him. George Bush Senior, who was the head of the CIA, knew the Bin Ladens very well, including Osama. So, um, at the time of nine eleven, the this radical Islamic group has decided that they want to send a message to America. All right, and the way that they're going to do it is by attacking three main things: the economics, the um, law or the military, and then the each one, basically all of the branches, but of the government, but the financial institution being the World Trade Center, the military being the Pentagon, and then the leadership, the president, the White House. That's what they were aiming for. They did not make it to the White House. They crashed, I believe it. What was it called? Shanksville, yeah, somewhere mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah, Shanksville, Pennsylvania. I think, but they were. That's where they were heading. They had evacuated that. You know, the White House. But that's what they were doing. So. What I want to show is that, in my opinion, I, where I think that the church has gone wrong over some time, this is just my opinion, okay? But I feel like we hear a lot of rhetoric in our daily lives, whether it's from Twitter or from news, or whether if, you read, you know, if you're watching Fox News, you're getting something. If you're watching CNN, you're getting something. We get all of this rhetoric all of the time. But truthfully, in my opinion, the, the resurrection is what turned the world upside down. I think that's when it really began. And all of that infighting just really, really took, you know, took hold. But there were some things that evangelical Christians did that sort of propagated the Islamic response. There was this was a response. They they didn't just suddenly decide we're going to be terrorists today and let's just go like we're going to go do a bank heist because we need some cash. They're trying to send a message. Okay. And so I got a couple of you know, and I'm, I'm treading lightly here. I have a family of people who were in our military. My daughter was in the military. So yes, of course, I love my country. I do. Yes, of course, I approve the military. I do. I have. I understand those things. But there's this thing about that we've been taught kind of like hate the war, but love the soldier. It's kind of like hate the sin, but love the sinner. You know, it's kind of like that. And if you remember the Vietnam War, those men that were drafted over there against their will and had to fight then came back and people were spitting on them calling baby killers, you know? So we kind of learned that lesson and decided we're not going to treat them that way anymore. So we're going to stand behind our soldiers no matter what. But, you know, the war itself, it's, hmm, it's, it's kind of a question, but Osama bin Laden, I got a couple of quotes and there are several out there, but here's a couple quotes. 
This is uh, in 1996, August 23rd of 1996, three months after Osama bin Laden was expelled from Sudan under U.S. pressure. He issues a declaration of war or fatwa from his hideout in the Hindu Kush mountains of Afghanistan. And this is what he says. Terrorizing you while you are carrying arms on our land. Notice what he said. Our land is a legitimate and morally demanding duty. These youth are different from your soldiers. Your problem will be how to convince your troops to fight. While So just so everybody knows what happened was, and you probably didn't hear it, but as I'm reading this awful, awful quote, suddenly out of nowhere, a rim shot comes out of nowhere. We look at Andy. It's, it's some old, I guess. Yes, I, yes I, I reused these sessions and I... <laughs> didn't mute the track that had that on oh, it because wow. I didn't know it was there. Terrorizing you <laughs> filthy Americans. <laughs> 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 hey, hey, hey guys are, Summer's so, here all week. <laughs> uh, sorry. So let's go back to what we said. These youth are different from your soldiers. This is Osama bin Laden speaking in 1996. These youth are different from your soldiers. Your problem will be how to convince your troops to fight, while our problem will be how to restrain our youth to wait for their turn in fighting and in operations. Think about what he's saying for a second. Do we think that this is just rhetoric? Do we think that this guy is just trying to propagate his little ideals? Do you, is that what we really think? Or do you think this guy has something truthful to say? I don't know what I think about him but but I do know that it's a response again to as many things are to these things that have been happening for generations. I mean the 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 British slash colonial, not just their fault, colonial rule of these countries and uh, the before World War II and then after World War II when it wasn't the direct rule, but U.S. and uh, and places like Britain or whatever, they had. Uh, Essential, essentially, they ruled uh, basically through puppet governments a lot of these places in the Middle East. This is a long game response to what is seen as us being in their business for an incredibly long time. Uh, what are whatever our motivations may have been for that, completely aside, was absolutely true. We were there, we were controlling the governments, all that is true. It's just Everything else, I guess, you know, is kind of is a little user to find the end result of all those things, the reason for them and and what, who did, when they were where. Sure. In the argument, you always hear, well, they were going after the oil. That's what they, oil, 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 oil. Sure. Sure. There was oil involved in that. But this is, there's there's more behind the scenes, guys. This is, this is a holy war that's going on between Christians, uh, Hebrews, and Arabic nations. They've been fighting for centuries, and this is just continuing. And Osama bin Laden is—listen to what he says. This is the last and final quote. Uh, October 7th, 2001, uh, issues a statement uh, regarding the 9-11 tax. He says, There is America— hit by God in one of its softest spots. Its greatest buildings were destroyed. Thank God for that. So if you don't think that he's coming from a religious perspective, you're wrong. There is America full of fear from its north to its south, from its west to its east. Thank God for that. What America is tasting now is something insignificant compared to what we have tasted for scores of years. Our nation, the Islamic world, has been tasting this humiliation on this degradation for more than 80 years. He uses the number 80. Its sons are killed, its blood is shed, its sanctuaries are attacked, and no one hears and no one heeds. 
So he's he's referring. I would nineteen twenty one. It's talking yeah. about that declaration, that Balfour Declaration, and all of that, where initially this, these lands are being taken over, and it starts this holy war, and there the Arabs and the Jews are at it with each other. So here's what's going on, guys. In 1948, the nation of Israel is established after World War II. And so now, literally, Israel is given the right to take tanks and go into Palestine. And what do they do? Unbeknownst to us, most common Americans, we're not aware that in Palestine, there are in harmony living Jews, Arabs, and Christians. And these Palestinians, they're Palestinian Christians as well, that are living in in these villages, and the tanks come in and literally just bury them. I mean, just bury them. Just eradicate these homes that they've had there for centuries, these families, they're being pushed out of the land. And if you think about it, this is 1948, and their country had been destroyed in AD 70. This is almost 2,000 years later. They're coming back to get their land because of a belief system. Well, also, an important part of why the Jews got to return, make absolutely no mistake about it, is that that is an important foothold for Western power to project into the Middle East from. And and if you don't think that that wasn't a part of that consideration, well, it was. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. So it's important to understand that, in my opinion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what sets the Christians apart from all other religions is this, the fact that he was resurrected from the dead and that we believe that he's alive to this day. However, I think some evangelical Christians, they have built these systematic theologies based off scripture, which may not actually be true, and they are propagating their their mission. And currently, in our day, currently, right now, there are Christians that are pushing so hard to try to help Israel. And there's a lot of people that talk to me and they say, boy, I tell you what, if Biden turns his back on Israel, we're done. You know, and that's what they say all the time. Like, we we care so much about what's happening in Israel all the time. And what I'm trying to say is everybody needs to stop and let's just, let's just stop for just a second, you know, and let's think about if you want to be a Christian, then you need to at least read the things that Christ said. And going after people and trying to overthrow people and kill people and do all of those things, do nothing but just keep this war going. That's what happens. So and this is just all opinion. And guys, I have talked this entire podcast. But I've given listened. You, but I've given <laughs> you the history, okay? So I want some opinion from your side, the stuff that I've just said, and then I'm going to read the resurrection account and we're going to get into that. But I want you guys to understand where we are now. This has been going on for centuries. So is there anything that you would like to say in regard to that? Billy? There's always been conflict ever since Cain and Abel, correct? Yes. Um, I, I don't know. That was a lot. That was a lot. Um, I need you to recite it all back to me. Right <laughs> Pop get- quiz. I'll get to you on that. Uh, <laughs> go to Cherry for a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right. There has always been conflict since Cain and Abel. And I think a lot of times, I guess, that's kind of how we just look at it. Mm-hmm. If that, I mean, it might be kind of a shallow way, but racism even, you know, you look in the Bible, you see racism in there. You know, the way uh, the Jewish people treated the Gentiles, the Samaritans. And so when you read that and you look into history through history books or anywhere else, it's just almost like that's the way it's always been. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think people really take the time to really think or study it out to even 
care why they're over there doing what they're doing because in a way, Osama bin Laden was correct. When 9-11 happened to the United States, it shocked the United States because it's not something that happens here on our soil. And he's saying, we deal with this every day. And so, you know, it's out of sight. Don't give much thought to it. We certainly lead a bit of a privileged life we from do. that, oh, absolutely. Uh, from that yeah. viewpoint. It's absolutely. almost like it's never become real personal to the personal self. So it's like it's just something you see on TV or it's something you read about. If you right. didn't have a loved one that died in the World Trade Center, you know, you're like you're empathetic, but probably don't have an understanding like someone who did. Sure. You know? Or somebody who's had probably a rough time for generations because of war and unstable economics, which right. is, you know, which, you know, we haven't had war on on our soil since what the civil war and we've had a very good time of it economically since probably post world war you know middle of world war 2 when things really started to pick up so it's not just that we don't understand because we haven't had a death it's like we don't understand because we haven't had a cascade of misfortune right. laid out our feet including like firebombing of cities basically and 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 a lot of just forever religious infighting some of which is just old hate and and some of which is just i think a guys for wars over resources a lot of times an excuse for resource wars and you're right people do seem to be people if you have enough people they somebody'd figure out something to fight about eventually it sucks but i think it's fairly true well you're right though you think about it if if one person says we could use these resources but you're looking out on the rest of your nation or people well, who are suffering. Right. And you're like, the Jews well, let have me just, all the money. Let me take mm -hmm. the suffering and use it to get everybody on board Absolutely. so we can get the resources. And sometimes they're just being userous and manipulative, and but sometimes they absolutely believe what they're saying. A hundred percent they believe what they're saying. Yeah. If we could have their stuff, did we deserve their stuff because we're us? And we being us are better in some way, shape, or form because we always are. Uh, yeah. Et cetera. Thought end. Have you thought more, Billy? Mm, no. Just just listening. Well, let me ask you this question, okay? So do you believe that we live in a Christian nation? I think we want to believe that. But I, I think we... Um, no. Uh, I think we, we do nasty things so we can have the American dream and um, think we are all high and mighty. And um, I, I don't think so, not mm -hmm. any, anymore. And, and I mean, that's just my opinion. Um, I think there's Christian people out there, but as far as a nation, it's tough to say. Right. What about you? Do you think we live in a Christian nation? No. I mean... If you were to go around and take a, a poll, I'm sure, you know, X amount of people would say, yes, I'm Christian or whatever, but Billy's right. I mean, if you were to dig deep enough, you would see all the things that the nation does to ensure its own prosperity at whatever cost. And I don't think that Christian values are at the top of that, mm -hmm. and unfortunately. I mean, and I mean, I mean, I guess it's it's selfish for us to say that because, I mean, we're here. I mean, it's not like we're leaving 
you know, uh, Somalia is not that's that great this time of year. Uh, right. You know, you know, we're not buying a one way ticket out of here. So, what what does that say about us? Mm-hmm. Right. Um. You, you know. So, I mean, I mean. I yeah, you, you have this. You have this privilege. You to understand it, yeah. that the privilege is not automatic, and it does come from this weird place. Oftentimes, that you're not really excited about. But regardless of whether or not you feel icky about it, it's still yours. Yeah, I'm, still, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, stay you're here. still enjoying yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's tough. What about you, Rick? No, we are not a Christian nation. Absolutely not. And most of the churches in our society don't even know what this book that they read actually says. And if they do read it, they're reading it from some system that's been developed for them, whether it's dispensationalism or amillennialism or premillennialism or what all these other systematic theologies that have been written for them. They haven't read the scriptures. They don't even know it. So in my opinion, if you're going to call yourself a Christian and try to align yourself with the USA as if it's a Christian nation, you would be wrong. It's not a Christian nation. And for people to say that it was a Christian nation because of what we wrote in our preamble, what we wrote in our, you know, 1954 when we put in God, we trust on our money, when that is exactly the opposite of what Christ taught when he said, give me your coin. What's on the coin? Oh, you know, Caesar. Oh, okay, well, give unto Caesar what is Caesar, give unto God's what is God's. But we say, in God we trust, all others pay cash. It's a calculated, uh, calculated thing to uh, not look Soviet, to be anti-Soviet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and that was Eisenhower in 1954. And uh, Eisenhower, before he left the presidency, warned about the industrial military complex, which we are aware of right. today. We are living in that very thing that he said to be aware of. It happened. Uh, war is money. And as long as we can continue to, you know, to absorb and love this propaganda, we're always going to believe it. You know, yay, America. I am an American, and I do have a sense of pride about being an American, but I struggle to find out what that pride is sometimes. I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to be proud of. Is it the Boston Red Sox? Is it apple pie? You know, is it our NFL? I mean, what are we proud of exactly? I still... You can look at the founding ideals of this nation, which are uh, the word is escaping me right now. Yeah. Uh, not Renaissance ideas. Enlightenment, yes. which are like it's the in like enlightenment ideas that founded this nation, and what seemed to be amongst a bunch of people that were arguing, and you know, obviously some of them were just out for themselves, and et cetera, et cetera. But there seems to be enough good in there uh, that uh, that I think the the founding ideals are still solid. It's mm-hmm. you like at least the ones that made it to paper, right? Because even they weren't practicing what they preached in any meaningful manner. But the ones they wrote down, if you just look at that, those are still pretty good. Equality, you know, the ability to try to better yourself. Now, circumstances get complex and maybe that's not a real thing, but the ideas are good. You know what I mean? So yeah. Hot dogs, are they American? They yeah, are. Ground up lips and butts <laughs> in a thick membrane. Is, is, that, is that American? <laughs> it's absolutely American. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I mean, no matter what you think as far as whether the United States is a Christian nation or not, you're still born here. You still have privileges of being here um, to be able to sit and even say anything against 
your nation, you know, some people might take that offensively if you say we're not a Christian nation, but the privilege to be able to say it is a reason to be proud that you're an American because in other countries, you dare not say nothing oh, regardless. Yeah. Right so, here, what we're doing, we'd have been raided and, and hung yeah, up in so, a street or beaten. I mean, I'm thankful I'm an American. I'm thankful the Lord gave me the opportunity to be born here and and uh Instead to be of, fair, I'd have been a little more thankful to be born in a nation with universal health care. <laughs> <laughs> True. But, <clears throat> I, I mean— I dare say it's not Canada, the garage apartment above the big party. <laughs> I don't think so. No, thank you. But still, I mean, that to me is—we is, is we still have reasons. Just like any—you know, you could look at any other nation, probably any other country, and somewhere in there you're going to find someone where you would think there's no reason to be proud to be from that country— Someone would still stand and say, "I'm so proud to be from there." I think I think you have to. I think that's yeah. human nature, right? You, I think you so. can't be miserable about yourself all the time. Those people are terrible. Ninety-eight percent. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, at some point, you have to look around and believe that there are things in your life that make your life worth living. Whether or not that's true is immaterial. Just to get through the day, you have to convince yourself of that sometimes. Sure. I mean, we had some family members that lived through the Vietnam War and they came home and they were tragically you know, affected by that war mentally and physically. And growing up around them and seeing what they had to do because they were drafted and forced to do so or to be put in prison and some people chose prison but that you know some of our family actually just chose to fight and then came back and because they were drug over there to fight and they did it and because they didn't reject it and go to jail because they didn't believe that we were fighting communism or whatever it was they were called baby killers and spit on and they were mistreated you know terribly and so mentally they were affected they turned to drugs they turned to all kinds of things they destroyed their life and then they died and they raised these children that also followed in their footsteps because of it you know am i an american yes do i love america yes i do love america Am I proud of our country? I am proud of some of the things that we've accomplished as a country. I am. Are we a Christian nation? No. I think that we were trying to found this country on those principles. I believe, you know, our founding fathers did speak of it in our constitution, in our in some of our earliest documents that talks about it. But were we founded as a Christian nation? Some people will argue that point. I don't it really doesn't matter to me anymore because here I am now. It's 2021. I'm not here in the 1700s now. So and I think we get sucked into that patriotism and don't really know what the patriotism is. We see red, white, blue. We get patriotic. We feel this. We explode things in the sky and we get excited. You know, that's all well and good. But the, this podcast is about thinking about the things that were planted in us prior to us becoming Christians and why we believe some of the things that we do. That was the purpose of the podcast. So what I'm trying to say to the audience is that sometimes we believe things just because they were ingrained in us or just because we were born into it. All right, we're raised with it. And so we have these core beliefs that are already there before we even understood them. We don't understand some of the beliefs that we have. We just have them, and that's just who we are. Well, Christ didn't allow you to walk around in life like that. He actually challenged you to think about where you were coming from because he was here to defeat sin, the thing that was opposite, that kept us separated from God. That's what Jesus came for. And so, if he is who he says he is, and he had this word that was given to us, that the least we could do is read it and understand him as he was and see what he taught and see if our lives line up to it. And I'm going to tell you that 95% of the American churches do not line up with it. And it's because of those pre-things that people were taught and they follow tradition. 
You got to get outside of tradition if you really want to understand Christ and what he is trying to teach. You've got to listen to the man. So, this is how we're going to end the podcast. I'm going to ask just a series of questions, if you don't got, you know, and just answer to the best of your ability. And then I'm going to read Mark chapter 16, and then we're going to close out. Okay. So, when Jesus, I've read, I said this in another podcast, but if you've read John 3, the third, you know, John chapter 3, when Jesus sees Nicodemus, Nicodemus says, you you are obviously a man from God because nobody like you could do the things that you're doing, healing the blind and the sick and the deaf and doing all of this, these good things. Jesus' response was, you must be born again. That's all he said. You must be born again. So let's just take Christianity at its very, very basic root. Jesus said, you must be born again. So Nicodemus says, well, how can I be born again? He asked if uh, he would have to be born in the flesh again. Yeah, like, do I go back into my mother's womb? Right. And the answer is no. Jesus says, marvel not that I said you must be born, born again. Marvel not. In other words, don't be so surprised, don't be so amazed by what I'm saying here. Flesh gives birth to flesh. You were born of water. You came through in the flesh. But spirit is born of the spirit. The wind, you see its effect. You feel it. You hear it. But you you don't know where it's coming from, and you don't know where it's going. Remember he said that. The same are those who were born of the spirit. Okay? So that's the baseline of Christianity. You must be born again. Now, later, what are they saying? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Jesus tells, tells the disciples, people are going to be telling you, hey, the Messiah's over here and the Messiah's over there. And we got to follow him. And he says, don't go because the kingdom of heaven is in you. The kingdom of heaven is in you. That's what Jesus says. Then later on, you got Paul. He says, know you not that you are the temple of God? Now, we learn from churches about the temple. And what do they tell you? Well, you better not be smoking, boy, because if you smoke, you're the temple and you don't want to be smoking in the temple. You don't need to dip now with the temple dip. And it's like, okay. And so we use that as a guilt way to make our bodies be better, which is completely not what he is talking about. The Jews have had this temple in their land because that's where God dwelled. They had a tabernacle, which was a tent. God dwelled in the tent, in the Holy of Holies. Then Solomon built the temple. He built the Holy of Holies. God came and lived in the temple. That's where his spirit resided, was in the temple. When Christ died, it says the veil of the temple was ripped in half, ripped. God's presence left the Holy of Holies. It is no longer in the temple made with human hands. Christ is telling us that. Paul has been telling us that. There is not going to be another temple. Everybody is waiting for a new temple. It's not coming, everybody. Yes, that sets me apart from everybody in the world. I'm sorry. It's not coming because we are the temple. We're the temple. It's not going to change, okay? So what Christ is saying is that everybody is running around and they're fighting for all these bricks and these mortar and this hay and this wood and they're, they're fighting for all this. And what I'm trying to say is you have to be born again. Do you remember when he was on trial before Pilate? 
Do you remember when he said, are you a king? And he said, thou sayest, if thou sayest, I am a king. Not if. He said, thou sayest I'm a king. He's saying to him, you're the one saying that I'm a king. And you're worried about your little tiny earth. You're worried about these rocks and you're worried about these trees. And you're worried about all this little stuff. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. What in the world are we fighting for right now? Why are we fighting for these little pieces of land? What are we what are we killing people for? Why are we burying people over stuff? Jesus never taught any of that. It is not Christian to take a tank and bury another Christian. It is not. In fact, we should be willing to be buried by the tank on behalf of someone. We are supposed to lay down our life. Jesus said the, that John the Baptist would be the least in heaven. When Jesus wiped the feet of the disciples, he said, I am a servant, and if I'm a servant to you, then you should be a servant to others. Jesus said to love your enemies. Does a Christian nation who bombs and bombs and bombs and bombs love anybody? Does that sound remotely like what Jesus has taught at all? We are absolutely not a Christian nation, but we can be. But we have to promote the actual words that Jesus taught to those around us. But before we can do that, we have to live it. We have to be willing to love our own enemies. It starts because the temple is inside of us. We are the temple. We are the kingdom. And everybody's over there waiting for that cornerstone to be built in Jerusalem. And Hamas is throwing bombs over. And Israel is throwing bombs over. And there are missiles and fighting and this. And America is putting billions of dollars into defense for the Israeli you know, defense so that they can eventually build a temple. So that we can see the at the end of time that this temple is going to be destroyed and the Antichrist is going to come. It's like we're trying to force the issue to get the Antichrist to come. Okay. That's what that's what's happening. That's the society we live in right now. Do I sound like a crazy person? No, no, not not to it. Look, do, do I sound like a like radical it. person? No. Well, I was just gonna say. Well, you read the Bible and you read about you know how God's people went and took this land and that land. You know, the walls of Jericho fell. Uh-huh. Somebody reads that and they're thinking, well, it is definitely Christian to still you know go forward in battle. They can look at it like that. Sure. Well, if you read the Bible, you know that God said he promised the land. Other people are in the land, and he's the one that said to go and to destroy it and take it. Right. And I've said this a million times. God the Father has the ability to do whatever he wants with his creation. If he decides to pick the Jewish race as his people and says, I am your God, and you'll have no other gods before me, you won't make graven images. You will not kill. You will not steal. You will not lie. You will not covet. You know, He's given right. him all of these things and says, you're my people. You're going to be holy just as I am holy. That's what he says. You're going to follow these laws. You have to bring this many pigeons. You got to bring this many goats, this many lambs, this many bulls, this many. This is a, there are 613 actual laws that are in the scriptures that these people have to pick. You know, if I was born a Jew, I'd be like, yeah, 613, you know, I can't even remember all the Ten Commandments, you know. And we say because we took the Ten Commandments out of courts that we're no longer a Christian nation. Guys, it wasn't a Christian law in the first place. Christ gave the Sermon on the Mount. The, the laws, what did Christ say? He said, the law says thou shalt not murder. That's what, that's what the law says. But what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? If you hate your brother, it's the same as committing murder in your heart. That's a serious law. If you hate your brother, it's the same as murder. He says, 
you've heard that it had been said. He always he's always saying, "You heard it, it was said. You heard it was said." It says in the in the scriptures. What does it say about marriage? What does it say about adultery? It says, "Thou shalt not commit adultery." But what did Jesus say about it? So if you basically if you commit it in your heart and you thought it, you've committed adultery. Yes, if you are married and look upon another with lust in your heart, it is the same as committing adultery. That is a deep law, guys. That's even strong. Now, name one person who has gotten away with that, who who hasn't done it. Maybe Cherry, because she's not a dude. <laughs> she's a Jenny and not a Jack. And I I'm can a half ass. If you uh, meet a dude early enough in life. It was a jackass. <laughs> you normally won't look upon another man and go, oh, yeah, because you're thinking, hell no. <laughs> I guess, and uh, let's wrap it up here, well, guys. W- w- no, go we, ahead. We are the ones that, I mean, a sin's a sin to, to God. Yes. We are the ones that put it on different levels. Right. You know, like, I agree well, if you. I cheat on my taxes, it's not as bad as cheating on my wife or, you know, mm-hmm. vice versa. We're the ones, all sins hurt his heart. So we're the ones that, human society are the ones that determine which sin is worse than the other one. Mm-hmm. So, no, I mean, you're 100% right. All sin is the same, truthfully, in God's eyes. You know, if when we talked about degrees of hell, are there degrees of hell, you know, because of the seventh circle of hell and all this from Dante? Look, I mean, God did say it would be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for Tyre or Sidon in the end times because, you know, they rejected Christ or whatever. But are there levels? I don't know. I don't even want to get into all that, but... I'm too busy talking about Germany and Osama bin Laden for that right now. So, <laughs> But what I want you guys to do is to remember what I said. You must be born again. Spirit gives birth to spirit. The kingdom of heaven is in you. You are the temple. If you will keep that in mind, you'll realize that the kingdom is not America. The kingdom is not Israel. It is not Saudi Arabia. It is not Jordan. The kingdom is in those of us who believe that Christ was the Son of God, that gave his life for us, that that died on a cross that was buried and then was resurrected. I'm going to read this little tiny story about this little, these just these few people in our past, in our history. Whether you believe this or not, I don't care. Just listen to this account just for a second about this tiny little religious man in this little desert town who was healing people of their infirmities, okay? And who the religious people didn't like what he had to say. Mark chapter 16, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version today. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. They were just going to put spices on his dead body. These people loved him, and they wanted him to be buried properly, okay? That's all they're thinking about right now. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, just imagine it for a minute. Imagine an early sunrise on a Sunday morning, three women carrying spices going to the tomb to bury this leader that they've been loving and being loved by for the last three and a half years. When they were saying one to another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? They're not strong enough to move this gigantic boulder out of the front of this hole so they can get there. So that's one of the questions that they have. Okay, we're going. They probably should have thought of that before they started carrying all these spices, but they didn't. They're saying it now. This beautiful little morning, they're going to this little tomb. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. Imagine that. (laughs) They get there and the stone's been rolled away, but there's this man that's sitting on the right side in this white robe. 
And they were suddenly like, wait, what's going on? And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. That's a first, right? So do you have a thought? Who are they? No, I'm just... Who are they talking to, or is Jesus talking in the speaking in the third person? No, it's it's that no, it's the man that's dressed in white that's in the tomb. Okay, they're talking to him. So, see the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. I thought that was interesting that he said his disciples and And Peter. Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone. Even though he told them to go say something, they said nothing to anyone, for they were very afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. So who was the first one? Mary Magdalene, a woman. If you don't think women are important, men you're wrong. Because the Lord of all creation, the one that created all things, because we talked about in the very first podcast, appeared first to a woman. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept, but when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. So they didn't believe what she had to say. After these things, he appeared in another form. You notice how it says he appeared in another form? So that means that he had appeared in a different form prior to two of them as they were walking into the country and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Think about what Jesus said. Go out and speak the gospel. Those who believe will be saved. Those who do not will be condemned. But what exactly is he saying? Is that a threat to an atheist? Is that a threat to somebody? Is that you think that he's speaking a threat because he says if you don't believe it you're going to be condemned? I promise you that Christ isn't speaking a threat. He is telling you that the kingdom has come. This kingdom will be one where people love their enemies, where people lay down their lives for their friends. Where people will be giving of things. They'll sell all that they have to make sure that others have. He has got a new kingdom and we're not living in that kingdom. We're choosing to live in a prosperous nation, and that's what we're doing. We're playing our own game, and we're trying to believe in our own way, and that is not what he expects of us. So join us next week on the Burrows of Berea. Nice. That's an excellent turn. <laughs> no, I'm being serious, but in all reality, you know, it's, I don't mean to sound so harsh, but 
that's a fact. We are not being serious about our faith. And if we really want to be Christians, if we really want to understand what the kingdom is, we have to know what the kingdom is. We can't just listen to the propaganda that's been given to us all our lives. We are responsible to find out what the truth is, and then we are responsible about telling others. And it's not so we can grow some fancy big brick lane church. It's not about that. It's about the kingdom, and it's about love, and we need to share it. That's why you're one of my favorite Christians. (laughs) (laughs) And why you're one of my favorite atheists. (laughs) Anyway, anything else to you guys? Well. Covered just a little ground there. You just kind of, you know, if you take that and you think about what you say, you kind of just deflated everybody and took their hope away. Yeah. You squashed them. Yeah. Hey, you should know what the real hope is. I was going to take all this with me. You know, yeah, yeah, everything. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, mean I was going to take my land and everything. That's right. You know, put yeah. it in my box and I'll everything. Just take my little. I was going to take my temple and kingdom. So, fake Christian yeah. self back to the house. Ouch. <laughs> 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 well, listen, just just to give you a, a, a great little side illustration, there was a man that who he had so many possessions, and there were just things that he wanted to be able to take with him to the afterlife, and he couldn't. And so he had put a ton of gold into this suitcase. And he told his family, he's like, if I can get this into heaven with me, I'm taking it, I'm taking it, I'm taking it. So his family wasn't allowed to touch it. And when the man dies, they just put it in the side room and they shut the door. Later, this man is standing at the gates of heaven. And it's this angel and he's got three lines, right? And there's a whole line there. (laughs) Right? You don't know that. You'll have to listen to the other podcast to know the story. You don't know the joke. So anyway, this guy walks up to the line and guess what? He's got the little suitcase with him. It made it, right? And he gets ready to go in, and the the man looks at him and says, it says here that you are a lover of money. You love money so much that you're trying to bring something into heaven with you. He goes, yes, listen, I only ask one thing. Can I please just bring this with me? It took me my whole life to make this. I want to take it with me. He was like, okay, you're going to have to show me what it is before I can let it in. This is an effect of 9-11. You're just going to have to open it up and look at it. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Great little callback, huh? (laughs) Boom. He opens it up, and there's all this gold. And the angel looks at him and says, you brought pavement? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Pretty good. Pretty good, yeah. That's good. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you guys um, possibly next week without me. I am going on my honeymoon, so you guys can, I'll see you when I get back. (laughs) Well, enjoy it. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you very much. You guys have a great week. Do not FaceTime us on your honeymoon, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I'd just look at myself anyway. I think we determined that earlier. He'd just show us the scene. Yeah. 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 And and mute, please. Is that a GE? (laughs) Yeah. Is that a GE microwave? (laughs) Oh, Lord. All right. All right. Take care, guys. See you. See ya. Fun fact, they uh, they have in the past used that as a form of torture in... uh, in military prisons against uh, people like where they echo your voice back to you, everything you say, like slightly after you say it. Yeah. And it's, it's really weird. You have to experience it to, I've never done it long enough to, for it to be considered torture, but it's weird when there's just the right amount of echo on your voice. Every time you talk, your own voice distracts you and it's the weirdest thing ever. And it would drive, I could see where it would totally like, if you just, it was one of those things like blasting Motley Crue at somebody, if you leaned into it, it could definitely be torture. It's weird. Because <laughs> yeah. you just, you can't think because every thought you have that you verbalize is instantly interrupted by that same thought. 
it's just weird. Yeah. It's I've had that happen on a cell phone when I'm driving down the road, you know, and I'm trying to talk, but I'm hearing myself talk over myself like a You can't yeah. get through it. No, and I, just, I, th- I thought you would enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, please insert rim shot there. <laughs> I, get to I hear do myself actually. Twice. I'm just like, please, please hold, and so I can hear myself talk first. That was good. Now you may reply. <laughs> that I Facetime. I'm terrible for just looking at the little square with me in it. Yep. I, I think that means yep. I'm an awful person. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. I get that. I don't have FaceTime. I've used it a couple of times on the Android, you know, however it was from Android to Android. I don't know what they call it, but most of the time I've got, you know, like I'm talking to them, but like my phone's over here and I'm like looking away. And so they're just looking at the kitchen sink, you know, (laughs) I'm just talking. They're like, "Uh, I can't see you. I can't see you. It's all all part of the plan. Sync time. Bingo. So, are we rolling yet? Uh, we are rolling. Actually, let me just double check. I, all right. Good. Mine says 40. 40. 40. 40 ounce. King Cobra. Ugh. Have you had this before? <laughs> it sounds like Cherry's had, had it. some really rough stuff. <laughs> What's that? Oh, Lord. Like Miller Lite. 40. Whoa. I think he's right. Milwaukee's best. Oh, yeah. PDR. As long as it's cold, Milwaukee's best is okay. No. It's got to be cold. No. Like a Hasco. Night train? No. What? Night huh? train? What? Yeah. Night train. Ah, Night train. Told you I had some bad stuff. born on the wrong side of the tracks. <laughs> That's, yeah. That's that good stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> After the seventh one. <laughs> that was like a 15-year-old moment, you know? Oh, was it? Yeah. Just drink whatever you can get. Drink whatever they gave you yep. until you were sick. Yeah. Yeah. Any but, green spring. Yep. What kind yep. of you drink? Boone's cold. Food. I drink yeah. cold. Cold. <laughs> Trust me, I've drank hot. (laughs) It's not great. Red dog. My my worst was hot red dog. Yuck. You mean mean mad dog or is red dog something else? No, I think it was red dog way back. I've had a red stripe, but it wasn't hot. I've had mad dog. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know red dog. Mad dog is sugar trash. Yeah. Sugar trash. I'll have to look that up. Anyway, I thought it was red. So did you know that I got married last weekend? (laughs) No. (laughs) And and this weekend. Oh, you got the race. Yeah, I didn't see it. So it happened. Like we went up there and we went. So I guess you didn't listen to the last podcast, so you don't know this. Not the side study now. Yeah. So we went to. Uh, we had some restrictions. There were some issues with the South Carolina. We had to have a South Carolina minister, and we couldn't get one. And so we have a North Carolina minister. Okay. And so we went up to Murphy and to a little church called Vengeance Creek Baptist, and Holly and I tied the knot. My mom and my grandma and my aunt did come and my daughter actually Kate came and it was awesome and oh, then cool. her parents and her cousin came and it was yeah it was really nice oh okay, okay. yeah so we we tied the knot we're officially married but we're having the ceremony with everybody in the family every everyone in the family coming okay this Just coming, coming Saturday okay. yep cool well congratulations thank you yeah yeah, yeah. so the, the next morning man. yeah the next morning after the wedding night we were she said I need you to go make me some coffee and I was like why do I need to go make coffee and she's like well it's in the Bible and I was like, what? And she said, haven't you ever seen it? Hebrews. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> did you make coffee? You betcha. You bet he did. <laughs> you bet Smart I man. Did. No, all jokes aside, uh, she didn't say that. I just, I just brought like that the joke. The Hebrew. Yeah, it's like the-